All right, on this episode of the Park Hills Podcast, Pastor Graham and I are going to walk through our sermons on Revelation 15 and 16 and talk about some of the things that we would have liked to have dug into more in our sermons. And so get ready to learn some of those things, and hopefully it helps you as you listen to the sermons and kind of walk through. Speaking of sermons, if you want to listen to more things that we're creating, go to parkhillschurch.com. You'll find everything there. Yep, today, so we're going to just start in chapter 15 here. So if you have your Bibles or if you just want to listen along, I'm going to read the first two verses. Uh, and it says this, Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and amazing, seven angels with seven plagues, which are the last. Uh, for with them the wrath of God is finished. And then I saw what happened to be a sea of glass mingled with fire, and also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of its name, standing beside the sea of glass with harps of God in their hands. And so there's, there's an image in these first two verses that I'm, I'm going to pull our attention to, and that image is the sea of glass mingled with fire. Uh, so you're going to hear us reference uh, pretty frequently the Bible Project. If it's a resource that you haven't checked out yet, we definitely encourage you to do it. Uh, but Within one of their podcasts, they talk about the idea of water and and sea or big bodies of water kind of being uh, representative of something that's untamable, something that's chaotic, uh, and something like an abyss. And so, if you just if you you've even experienced this, if you stand next to an ocean, you all of a sudden feel very small, and you all of a sudden feel very powerless to do anything with that thing, uh, that that chaotic water that you're looking at. Uh, in this, and so this this theme, uh, while it may may feel new, uh, it actually kind of begins in Genesis and uh, the creation account. And so, uh, what God partly does in creation is he he's he's seen as taming the chaotic waters. Uh, and so I'll highlight a couple of examples on day two of creation. Uh, if you want to look back in Genesis, he, he separates the chaotic waters under the expanse and then above the expanse. So that's the first line of separation. And then on day three, he separates the chaotic waters, uh, forming the land and separating it from the sea or separating it from the water. Uh, and so God's separating these waters or, or, or putting at bay the chaos creates a, a habitable place for humans, right? So you and I don't do too well in water. I'm not much of a swimmer. I'm not sure about you, Chris, but uh, no, he's shaking. He's All right. No, so. I'm not the best swimmer. <laughs> too large. And then, and then we see something in the flood account uh, with Noah. So God allows the untamed waters, right, to return back over the land in judgment. Uh, but at the same time, he's providing a habitable space for Noah and the animals on the ark. Uh, and so there's, there's kind of just some of the background of this conversation. But the image that I really want you to grab onto as listeners is the Exodus story. 
And so God judges the unrepentant Egypt, right, by plagues. But at the end, he ultimately delivers the people through what? The waters. Waters, right? Through the parted waters. So God provides salvation in delivering his people through these waters. And then part of the reason, too, why I wanted to, to just talk about this, this concept is, is one of the beasts rises up out of the waters. The sea. The sea, the waters. right? Yeah. Yep. So, so out of the untamed seems to come this creature that feels untamable. And, and you just get this idea of, my goodness, what are we going to do? Uh, but what's interesting in verse 2, back in, uh, back in Revelation chapter 15, we see not defeat, we see not fear, we see not uh, chaos and waters, but we get this image of victory. And so you see the saints who have conquered the beast standing uh, next to the sea of glass mingled with fire and they're worshiping mm-hmm. because they've been delivered. Uh, yeah, there's, there's just so much there that I, I want to, to press into in a greater way. Uh, but you just see God's hand in deliverance and putting at bay what seems to be untamable. Uh, but God actually saying, no, I'm, I'm in control I have the victory. I have the salvation. And as I deliver my people through, they will stand and worship. And so you see that back in the, the Exodus picture. So if you look back at Exodus 15, which is the chapter right after the deliverance, what are they doing? They are standing and worshiping this God who delivered them. Same picture that we see right here in Revelation chapter 15. And we both utilize that song in our sermon. Mm-hmm. The, the song of Moses. And it was amazing all of the little connections that you see between Exodus 15 and Revelation 15. And the, the 15s don't mean anything. Some of you might be hearing that for the first time going, I did not put those together. There's 15s and 15s. And are we doing Bible number stuff? No, it, that's not it at all. It, it, the, the chapters were put together way later by different people, totally different concept. But it is something that I think John was constantly thinking through the the Hebrew scriptures and working them through and processing them. And he was then considering them and the things that Jesus had said. And as those things are are happening, he starts to have these amazing dreams, these amazing visions that God's giving him, using the imagery that he's fully aware of, and then helping him tie it together in such a way that it would make sense to the first century audience and then make sense all the way down to us. And the picture that we're painting, and I, I love the idea, is water represents chaos and, and untamable things. But our God is not just powerful. He is the most powerful. He, he overwhelms it. Even if, even if a beast were to rise up out of the abyss and try to conquer the planet, he's got no leg to stand on against our God, just as Pharaoh had no leg to stand on against our God. And so what the, the Israelites do when they free, are freed from the Egyptians, they worship. And when mm-hmm. the people of God are finally freed from the beast, they are going to worship. And that's what we should be doing, which is, we'll get to that in a little bit. But so go a little further than that. You, you have, yeah, there's some connections and things that you're seeing there. What, what else are you seeing? Yeah. So uh, there's a little play on the sea of glass. Uh, mingled with fire. So there's a little debate uh, as to whether or not that's also referring back to uh, Exodus. Uh, and 
And so the, the Red Sea uh, is debated as to whether or not it's appropriately, appropriately named. Uh, some say it is the Red Sea. Uh, some say it's the Reed Sea. Uh, but either way, it, it has this, this idea or this hinting of redness. Uh, and so in, in this chapter here where we see that it's mingled with fire, uh, what color is fire? Right. And so again, that image just seems to be reinforced where it's pulling us back into uh, the concept of Egypt uh, and, and yeah, the Exodus story. And so, uh, yeah, the, the, the main thing that I want us to see here as we think about this image of chaos and we think about this, this idea of, of water uh, is, is God is the deliverer and we see him in the Exodus story deliver his people through a body of water and they stand on the other side of that body of water delivered singing a song of praise. Mm-hmm. And as we turn back to Revelation 15, where the people of God have been delivered, turning around and singing both the song of Moses, right. but then also the song of the Lamb, proclaiming the greatness of this God. That's good. That's good. And little known fact you threw out there a second ago about the Red Sea and the Red Fire that's actually where this idea of the dragon being red comes from. They, all of this is hmm. tied together that artists over the years have made this connection of the artist, the, the dragon is trying to be like God so much so that his color is even red. And so whenever you see throughout history in poetry or in uh, art, the red dragon, there was even a movie made about it a few years ago. That was another one of the Silence of the Lambs movies or something. But the the bad character was the red dragon. It was this this, you know, this epitome of, of Satan on earth kind of idea. And so we saw that as kids in cartoons where this little tiny, you know, red little demon would pop up on a shoulder while mm-hmm. the little white angel would pop up. And right. uh, if you're ever like, where did all that come from? It's really just bad artist rendering of a concept that's being dropped here in Revelation 15. So yeah, that's good. Speaking of artists and all the craziness and, and this idea of, of destruction and, and all that, it leads us into really the second major theme that we want to talk about with this this set of chapters, 15 and 16 in Revelation. And that's just this idea of, of God destroying or deconstructing, probably would be a better way to put it, his creation. And there's an element throughout all of scripture that every time God cho- chooses to judge something, whether it's his own people, like Isaiah 1, you know, when he, God's talking about, I'm coming to the city and I'm going to just rip Jerusalem apart because you're not doing what I'm asking you to do. There's a destruction that has to happen or a deconstruction of Jerusalem that has to happen for Jerusalem to be made the way it's supposed to be made, uh, which I'm going to get to in just a second in chapter 16. But all throughout history, whether we're talking about Egypt right, with the plagues, or whether we're talking about, like I said, the people of Israel in Isaiah 1, whether we're even talking about, you know, Jesus saying the temple is, the temple time is finished, it's, it's over, and what does he do? This is going to be ripped rock from rock apart, like it's not going to stand anymore. So there's even a, an idea that God gave them the temple to give them a place to worship him, and they had not handled it correctly. So what does God do? He doesn't just let it keep going. Eventually, it has to be deconstructed so that he can move forward and do what he wants to do, which is what we're seeing at the beginning of Revelation 15 and on is this beginning of the end 
you know, up until this point, we've had all these other judgments from chapter six on mm-hmm. that have been really intense and really big. But 15 and 16 is, is it. I mean, we're, and that's what we're going to talk about in just a second, but this idea that deconstruction has to happen. And so I think the way that I think about it is this, and hopefully this will be helpful for us. God creates and he builds good things that are fully complete. Think of the Garden of Eden. Think of the earth. Think of all these amazing things. Think of our generosity series we talked about. God makes things that are good. They are complete. And when he's done, we should look at it and go, whoa, that's just really, really, really good. Mm -hmm. Well, once it's tainted, you can't just put it back in the box and try to make it right again. It's actually got to be destroyed and, 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 and broken down. And so you went into this a little bit with one of your sermons about judgment. You were just talking about it. So spell it out for me a little bit and then I'll, I'll, I'll take the reins back and, and kind of close it up. But what were you saying about judgment, God breaking things down and kind of starting things over? It's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> You're trying to give me a carrot and I'm not sure where that carrot's supposed no, to it's, lead. It's so. good. I'll just leave it there. We'll let, uh, we'll let James cut that part out if he wants to. But he, well, what you were saying, I'll, I'll put your words in my mouth so that you can uh, hear how wise you sound. You here's, here's what you were saying. For God to properly judge things, we often see it as uh, destructive or almost cruel, right? Just this... Almost this element of evil that God, and that's how people usually see God, is God is evil for doing this or that as far as destruction goes. But it's really an act of mercy. It's an act of, I'm not going to let things keep being the way they are. I'm actually going to deconstruct them so that we can rebuild and kind of make things the way. There's a redemptive nature to his destruction, to his judgment. Does that ring a bell? Yep. Yep. So you're you're hitting the hammer now. So (laughs) yeah, I think think a lot of times when we focus on the judgment of God, we focus on the cruelty maybe, or we focus on Mm -hmm. the, man, this feels like punishment. Um, And to a degree it is, it is, it is punishment. We have, we have earned... Uh, we have earned judgment. Rightful, but, rightful punishment. Right. Yeah. But to only see it as that is an incomplete picture. Correct. And so, yeah, what you're articulating is, is we need to, we need to complete the picture of what justice or judgment is. And so for those who have put their faith in Christ, there's a, a hope that lies before us that we will be delivered or brought through uh, this, this taintedness, this, this brokenness. And so what judgment does uh, is it is it brings the saints or the 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 Christian uh, followers of Jesus? It brings us through the ugliness, the the sin, the uh, the grossness of what this world can be sometimes, and it and it brings us to a place where sin is no more. Right. And so so judgment is a is a peace that happens so that the world is redeemed. Right. And so that it is it is rid of that sin, which we currently have to endure. Uh, and that's, that's the, the bigger picture of, of what judgment or justice is doing is it's, it's, it's yes, the punishment piece, but it's also the deliverance piece and the redemption piece and the, the, the piece that brings about completeness and fullness and rest ultimately. Totally. And I think that's what we were trying to hit on this sermon, but this is one of those things that we could probably spend six hours podcasting about and still have depth to go into with mm-hmm. that because the idea is so deep. But, but I, I think maybe the easiest way for me to think about it is this. When I knew that I needed Jesus, I had been approached by the glory of God. I, to some extent, I saw his goodness, 
his mercy, his glory, his power, and I was broken by it. So I submitted to him as Lord, and I wanted him to be in charge then. Mm -hmm. So in a micro way, that deconstruction has already happened in my heart, right? God's judgment was shown to me. I knew, I looked at him and I said, I am not like you. And that's a judgment. Him looking at me and, and me realizing I don't have that. I'm not him. That's a moment of judgment for me. And I was overwhelmed by it. And so my move was to humbly come before him and let him break me down. Mm-hmm. And what we're seeing in Revelation 6 through, really, it, it's going to come to culmination in chapter 19. And we'll deal with that uh, you know, in a couple of, uh, of days as far as the podcast goes. What's happening in Revelation 19, so 6 through 19, God is showing his glory still. It's no different than what happened to me or what happened to you, but it's on a macro level this time. And as the macro version of God's glory is shown, the world is either going to fall on its knees before him and say, I am, I am not that. I need, I need more of you. Mm-hmm. Or they're going to stand judgment and be burned up. And so whereas in Isaiah 6, you know, the, the seraphim comes with the coal and, and burns his lips to make him holy, that's what happens to us. We, if we understand God's glory and his goodness and his judgment and in his rightfulness to do so, right? It's a right <laughs> judgment. We are humbled by it and he cleans us. He fixes us and, and, and deconstructs us and begins to rebuild, recreate within us. Well, that's going to happen on a worldwide level. The problem is it's going to happen all at once. And it's just going to be over. And when it's over, that's kind of what we see happening in 15 and 16 is God's glory beginning to burn. And as it burns, it, we, it just, the world can't stand. It's over. It, it just, it's, it's done, which is what we're going to talk about, like I said, in just a second. But, but I, the way that I would break this down is this. It's like I just said, all those things about decent deconstruction, mercy, goodness of God. And you and I might ask for more merciful means. We might say, man, I wish God didn't have to judge the world this way. I wish he would just be nice about it. And Graham, this is what gets me so stinking passionate about evangelism and about what the church is supposed to do. This is what we're supposed to be doing right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we might say, I wish, I wish God was more merciful and gave people an option as opposed to just burning the whole planet. What do you think the church is for? Like our job mm-hmm. is to take the goodness of God and to share it to the whole world so that they don't have to face that judgment. Or and maybe a better way to put it is you face that judgment now, realize you're a sinner and choose his grace through Jesus Christ and by the blood of the lamb. And by that, you are saved. So you don't have to stand the judgment later. You're like, I wish there was a more merciful way that God would do this. He already did it. He died on the cross for your sins. <laughs> like if you just got that, you would understand that we're already in the age right now where that real reality has been preached and preached and preached. And if you choose to say no to that reality and you go your own way, you have every right to do so. Because God gave us free will. The problem is you also have every right to let God do what he's going to do to deconstruct the planet. And that might be you on a micro level, but it's going to be all of your friends on a macro level. Everyone who chooses not to bow the knee to Jesus Christ can't stand in his glory. It's not possible. And so as his glory burns and judgment begins, begins to go, and we call that the wrath of God. We call this the, you know, the burning of God. Uh, we, we're not going to be able to stand. And that's it. Yeah. And you just, you keep bringing to attention uh, to me this idea in Exodus again, where Pharaoh had the option to soften Absolutely. his heart, right? He had the ability to say, yep, I understand that judgment could be coming. I can relent and I can, 
I can let the people of God go. But he doesn't, right? He takes that moment instead to harden his heart. And so right now is just a call for us all to say, yeah, my heart can be hard. Right. Maybe I should soften it and just and receive the Lord and receive grace and receive the gospel, receive this this moment that he's given me uh, to, yeah, to, to align my life with his. Uh, and I, I can't help but think about, yeah, what baptism represents as well. You're talking about deconstruction and how mm-hmm. when we all come to Jesus, we have to deconstruct, right? And, and our baptism represents, we are, we are uniting ourselves uh, to death where we go under the water, right? Under the chaos. Under the chaos. And we, we find ourselves dying to the old man. Mm-hmm. So old Graham passes away. He's deconstructed, as, as you would say. So that new Graham, alive in Christ, can come alive, passing through that water, right? Back Amen. to our, our water image and being, yeah, being brought through water. Uh, it's just, it's so nice how this is coming together. It's almost like it's a biblical theme that just keeps coming up over and over. Oh, wait, it uh, is. Yeah. And it does. Yeah. That's exactly what's <laughs> happening. So even when you see the glassy sea back in Revelation 4, and now you see the glassy sea again in Revelation 5, but this time it's mixed with fire. You should be seeing all of this imagery and going, oh my goodness, it's all tied together. Everything from the scriptures are being pulled forward. And the answer to that is yes, of course it is. Because why wouldn't it be? Because mm-hmm. we have a God who is so beautiful and so amazing that he drops us as many possible hints as he can along the way. And we've got it all right in our fingertips, whether it's your cell phone that you use for your Bible or whether it's a paper Bible that you've worn out because you read it over and over again. Uh, you know, I would even encourage maybe picking in a different highlighter every year and just reading through your Bible and just highlighting a theme, whether it's let's, you know, pick blue and go, every time you see water show up and it's, it's significant, highlight it and then start to watch this theme develop throughout time or fire. And then you start to notice some of the correlations of fire and water and you go, oh my goodness, there's something happening here. That's all people are doing. And you have access to the internet that, that, gives you chances to do this anyway. Okay, I'm Bible nerding. I'll stop. <laughs> but but it's all there. And so the last big theme, so we've talked about, you know, this idea of water. We've talked about this idea of deconstruction of creation. That's that's basically the big so the big one is water. The second one is, is deconstruction of creation. The third one that we both highlighted in our sermon, but we there's no way we touched it all. And so I just want to circle back to it a little bit is this this word the telos uh when uh, the angel throws up the seventh bowl in the air, which I think is just such an, a crazy idea, right? You, the angel throws the bowl up in the air in the end of chapter 16 and just yells, it is done. And then we have no idea what that means. Right. What's done. The, right. the judgment's done. Your bowl is done. And then in the next part, you've got the city of Babylon, which, you know, if you haven't noticed yet, Babylon's getting used for lots of different phrases and words. It, it could be Jerusalem uh, that we're talking about in that part because it's talking very specifically about some weird things that deal with Jerusalem and the and the, the rulers of the earth have started to ride up to Jerusalem. So it's weird. They're you know they're heading to Armageddon, mm-hmm. which is just down the road from Jerusalem. So there's there's some things going on there, and he throws this bowl up and says it is done, and then the city's broken into three parts in an earthquake, uh, which is a tie into one of the seven churches. There's a city that broke apart with. An earthquake, three parts, very unique. If you, you go find your stuff, go find it yourself to go do the homework, you'll figure it out. Uh, but the city breaks apart. And as that happens, then these hailstones fall out of the sky and you go, oh, was that the bowl of judgment? You know, was this, and we have mm-hmm. no idea. We, we don't know what was what and, and when it happened, but all it says is there's this thing happening in 15 and 16 that we talked about. 
In 15, it says, at this, the, the, the judgments are finished. 15.8, it said, in this, the judgment was finished. The wrath of God was finished. And then in 16.17, this angel throws this bowl up and says, it is done. And there's this idea, it is done, it is done, or it is finished, it is finished, it is finished. And it's repeated three times in Revelation 15 and 16. And that, again, ties back to Exodus, right? These 10 plagues that sort of build and build and build. And then in the last two plagues, they, God deals with the, the main two gods of, of Egyptian mythology, right? Amon-Ra, the god of the sun, and then Pharaoh himself. And after that, it is finished. There's nothing else to do. And so finally, Pharaoh releases the people. And then God's like, well, I wasn't quite done yet. So why don't you come chase, chase my people, and then I'll take care of him in the Red Sea. And then mm-hmm. it is finished. Mm-hmm. Or you think of Jesus on the cross, it is finished. And you start going, oh my goodness, there's, God's the God who finished. He's the one that decides when it's done. And so the way that I want to close this, this little short podcast of uh, chapter 15 and 16 is when I look at 15 and 16, here's, here's three big things that I notice that I didn't go into in the sermon and we didn't have time to totally spell this out. But if you haven't noticed, if God is the God of being done, if he's the God of finished, if he's the tell us, if he's the one that says it's done, we're done, we're done then this shows that he's sovereign. Mm-hmm. He's in charge. And I don't mean sovereign in the sense that he's, you know, meticulously deciding each of the uh, order of every single event. I think our God is so big that he could, I think he foreknows everything, but I think he could let us have freedom and be fully in charge, which is a, doesn't make any sense philosophically, but he's God and it, it, he's crazy and it's awesome. And it's really <laughs> good. So he's fully in charge. Everything's going to work out the way he wants it to work out. Second, it shows us his mercy. And I I pointed this out in my sermon and I saw your notes had the same. He's waited this long to judge us all. Mm -hmm. It's been a long time. We don't look at it that way, but God has waited a long time to drop these judgments that you see in 15 and 16. If he's waited this long, that means God is a merciful God. 2,000 years is a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, it, when I punish my kids and I'm like, you know, you're, you're grounded for the next hour or whatever in your room or, or you know, time out, uh, they feel like that's forever. Right. Now imagine having 2,000 years to decide, you know, are you in or are you out? Right. Okay. I rest, yeah. my, I rest my case. <laughs> so first it shows he's sovereign. Second, it shows that his, he's unbelievably merciful. And then lastly, if you haven't noticed yet, it shows his power. And what I mean by that is when he's done, it's done. There's no going back. This isn't like a thing where, you know, I remember when I was a kid, if I got in trouble, my mom would send us to our rooms and then I would write a little note that said, hey, mom, we're so sorry that we did this to you. And I would slide the note under the door, hoping that she would let us out of punishment faster. Hmm. And she always did it. Really? Like if I wrote a note that showed my humility and how sad I was, even if I didn't fully mean it, she trusted the note and she just did it. So I remember a little bit later in, in childhood, we, they'd be like, write the letter, Chris, let's go. Like, let's get out of our rooms. You know, it's a, <laughs> and I remember just, we would, we would think it through. We would write on what we wanted to write. And we just, and then my mom would be like, all right, you can come out. And it's not that my mom lacked a backbone because she was a, a very good mom and very strong at what she did. But my mom, when she said, it's done, you're going to your room, I could always talk her out of it. Mm-hmm. God's given us all the chances at this point. So when he says it's done, there's no talking out. We're done. It's, it's over. It's finished. We're, we're through. So this isn't a politician with empty promises. You know, this isn't, think of all the people in our lives that have let us down. When God says, no, these seven judgments, we're done. It's time to be finished. There's no, it's done. Right. And that shows his power. That shows his character. And so, like I said, it shows his sovereignty. It shows his mercy. It shows his power. And those three things should cause us to praise. Just like you noticed, they, they, they get through the water and what do they do? They praise, right? Mm-hmm. 
and it should cause us to rest. And not just rest, meaning sleep, but rest in him. If he's fully in charge, that, that means that whatever happens this November with the political elections that we have going on in America, God is still in charge. Even at the worst outcome. Whatever your definition of the worst outcome is, yep. yes, yep. he's still in charge. And he's still merciful and he's still powerful. And it doesn't stop us from being who we are. We're the church. We're his representatives on this planet, better or worse, right? We're the ones that he, he put here to teach the world what it looks like to be him. So we rest in him. And we don't just rest in him, but we enter his rest and rest in him in general, meaning we don't, we don't be anxious. We don't freak out. We just trust that God's fully in charge. We do our due diligence. We do our part. We, like I said, uh, you know, we, we don't trust somebody else to do the job for us. We trust that we've got this because God's got this. And then we just be what we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. So, sounds simple. <laughs> Even as I say it, I'm convicted by what I just said. So now I have to go back and think that through and make sure that I, I, I believe what I just said. But that's the, that's the goal of what's happening in Revelation 15 and 16. If you have any doubts that God's in charge, put those aside. He knows what he's doing, and we can trust him. We can rest in him. Yep, rest in him even if chaotic waters exist. Oh, I love that tie-in. Yep, we're going to bring it back. That was good. <laughs> All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Yep, thanks, guys. Thanks, guys.